Welcome to Beyond the Board, a podcast that explores the themes and real-life inspirations behind our favorite games. On today's episode of Beyond the Board, we'll be discussing the game The Captain is Dead. The Captain is Dead is a cooperative strategy game designed by Joe Price and J.T. Smith and published by The Game Crafter starting in 2014 and now by Alderac Entertainment Group. The Captain is Dead is for one to seven players and a typical game takes 60 to 90 minutes to play. The theme of today's episode is surviving in space and life aboard the International Space Station. Enjoy the episode. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. I'm Mike Riemann. And I'm Spencer Campbell. And this is Beyond the Board. And this week we're talking about The Captain is Dead. The Captain is Dead! Uh, yeah, so this game is a little, is, it's weird because you can't really get it in many places except for the Game Crafter, uh, which is an online uh, game, like a board game uh, building site. Which is a great site, uh, especially if you're looking to make a prototype or if you're looking to sell your games on there. It's actually really cool. But AEG uh, just picked it up, and they're going to start releasing it in April. So if this comes out before then, then just know that like sometime in April they're going to start releasing it to, to the mass market. And it's a great game, and I hope everyone gets a chance to actually uh, play it. Yeah, I think that's awesome that AEG picked it up so that it can get further spread out to the wider gaming public like yeah because it, it's a lot of fun it's it's a it's a strategy survival cooperative game and the idea is that uh you're in the last 10 minutes of your favorite sci-fi tv show but things have gone so badly that the captain is dead and you as the rest of the crew and everyone at your table is trying to get the jump core back online so you can get out of there but you've got aliens attacking your ship and then things going wrong with the computer systems uh, and there's a lot of stuff in on the ship so the board game just to give you a visual the board is your ship and then you have all the different compartments and you as a character play as different crew members of the ship and there's you, like seven or so different characters yeah and you right yeah and you oh, have yeah. you all your rankings too right and so you can be everywhere from the the admiral or the first mate all the way down to the janitor basically mm-hmm. uh but you all have special skills and you all contribute in a certain way in order to get the jump core back online now while all this is happening alerts happen and uh, things are attacking your ship like aliens or there's just weird anomalies that happen and they affect your movement um, and and it really adds a level of um, chaos to the game so something's different every time uh, but the main mechanic in the game is that you have a bunch of skill cards in your hand that like either say command or engineering or science and you're matching them up in order to use different abilities mm-hmm. If you've ever played the computer game FTL, Faster Than Light, this game is very analogous to that in that you see an overhead view of your ship and you're just panicking as one problem after another sprouts up and you're you know allocating the crew and the resources and the time that you have to focus on like what is most important to get yourself out of the current bind that you're in Mm -hmm. yeah and it's 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 very much exactly like that Uh, but you have to work together because everyone's got their own specific set of skills in order to get everything um ready and and there's there's different aspects of the game like you've got torpedoes that you can shoot different spaceships off your bow you have uh, all your computer systems can crash in one form of another uh if aliens are on the ship and they injure you you have to go back to the infirmary in order to get better uh, but there's there's just a lot of different things that can go wrong in this situation because you are in space and it's hard to survive in space uh, and and the captain is dead is a great great game I've played it many many times 
and I would definitely recommend getting them. But since it's so hard to survive in space, we figured today we talk a little bit about actually surviving in space. Yeah, and you know, while we don't have any galaxy-faring ships right now where we're going and sending out fleets of people out and about into the, the galaxy, we do have a pretty great example of a system in place in which we are regularly sending human beings to survive in the dangers and terrors of space. And that is the International Space Station. Yes, the International Space Station. It flies, it orbits uh, 220 miles away from Earth every 90 minutes. So I think it goes around the Earth 16 times a day, roughly. Yeah, they get a sunrise and sunset that often. Uh And with the view that they have, it's totally worth it. (laughs) But, but, yeah, back... uh, they 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 got all these countries to get together and actually pull all their resources to create this. And this was after the Russians created Mir by themselves, mm-hmm. and they wanted to uh, create something even bigger and and better, basically. And, and they've gone through a lot of different space stations. I think about uh, five or six different yeah. space stations over the years, and they finally got to this capsules made space station where they they couldn't bring the whole thing up at once because it weighs roughly a million pounds so they had to send it in compartments and there's kind of this modular build to it too so that they were able to kind of add on portions of the the space space station over a period of time Uh, and it really is international is important to emphasize that it is an international affair it's not owned by any one country in the in the world in fact it's most of the major space organizations are the ones that are responsible for it at this point in time. And it is this, it's a communal space. Like, why why does it exist in the first place? Well, it's, it's a communal space to do science in space. Um, if we do ultimately want to try and either live in space or understand how we could maybe live on the moon or something like that, we need to have a much better understanding of how a whole bunch of different situations interact in the environment that is space. Mm -hmm. And so they have all these different compartments. They do have like their sleeping quarters, uh, very akin to the captain's dead. You have all these different rooms, uh, but they're, like Spencer said, these modular compartments, and you have multiple research pods basically Mm -hmm. on the space station. And altogether, the thing's roughly longer and larger than a like an American football field. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think somebody described it as having, it's like, it's larger than a five bedroom house with two bathrooms and has a gym. It's 32,000 cubic feet of living space. Uh, it is kind of cramped though, because you are in these tiny little pods, but th- there's a lot of different places to go around. Um, and you, but you also have um, at, at least six people on the space station at mm-hmm. all times, but it can get up to 10 people on, as a crew on the space station. Yeah. And again, this is it's not as if the Americans end up their people and they're up there for a little bit and then they swap out with the Russians and they swap out with someone else and over and over. It is an international community up there. So these astronauts know multiple languages and they, they, they're up there for this this purpose of science. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of nice. It unites them. Um, so, so before we talk about the people who live up there, we should probably talk about how do they make this a livable environment in the first place? Space is terrifying. Space is incredibly dangerous. Yeah, we'll, is, we'll talk about later what happens when you, if you just popped out into yeah, space, what would happen? It, it, it can be rough. And so they had to build an environment that was safe enough for individuals to live. So what are the sorts of components that are necessary in order to create a livable environment? Mm-hmm. First thing they need is power, right? They do need power. 
And so what they created were these giant solar arrays. So the, all the pod, modular pods basically are stuck together in a line, and sometimes they branch up, down, left, and right, but ultimately it's in a line. In the middle of this line is a giant truss, and these hold these giant solar arrays, mm -hmm. which actually absorb, uh, obviously, sun. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and they're always tilted just slightly towards the sun by using these gyroscopes, actually, mm -hmm. just to move everything ever so slightly. Yeah, they have these little micro-adjustments constantly to get the most face time with Optimal the sun, sunlight. Yeah. And the, as you mentioned earlier, with all of the orbits around the Earth, it, it is not always within sunlight, and so that's a problem. And so uh, and a very important part of these arrays is actually to take the energy that they, they pull in and store it away in some external batteries so that the space station still has power when it's in the Earth's shadow. Because mm -hmm. otherwise, they only have sun for portions of their time around the orbit. Yeah, and something else they needed to take into consideration is that they're flying around... The uh, they're orbiting around the Earth, like you were saying, but a lot of people think, well, space doesn't, it's empty, it's a vacuum, there's no friction, right? Uh, well, even in this, just right above the atmosphere, there's mm. still a few air molecules, and those air molecules can surprisingly create some sort of drag. So if you're at this uh, terminal or this optimal orbiting velocity, and then you hit get hit with like a single or or, or, or a, like a couple air molecules, yeah. you'll slow down. And if you slow down too much, you'll start descending. And so occasionally they basically have to boost it from the bottom and keep it going yeah. um, to reach that uh, terminal mm -hmm. orbital velocity. When that boost happens too, everyone kind of has to like latch down and like get, you know, stay in place and wait for the boost uh, to finish, get back into a safe orbit before they're allowed to continue on with their activities or duties, whatever it is they were working on at the time. Uh-huh. And so uh, we talked about power. The next thing that you would need in a space station is you got everything up and running. You're going to need to breathe because we're humans and we need to breathe. Yeah. Um, Even if you were only up there for a day, you didn't need food, you need at least <laughs> air to survive up there. So how do they how do they keep people alive? Well, the, we'll talk a little bit about how the, the, the shuttle system works in terms of moving passengers back and forth between Earth and the satellite, but on top of that, or the space station, but on top of that, they do send boatloads of material as well, and so they actually send a great number of tanks of oxygen, uh, and those sorts of, those tanks are basically stored externally outside of the, the space station as one of the main sources of oxygen for them to be able to use, mm -hmm. uh, but on top of that, they need to have a few more backup plans and kind of more consistent plans should one of those tanks be faulty, the tanks fall off, they need other systems in place. So they have they have other systems as well. Yeah, because in an emergency and in a pinch, it's not just going to be like, oh, quick, let's put a rocket together and send it off to space. It's like, no, you've got nobody mm -hmm. helping you out. So they got to think of tons of backup plans. Um, but one of the ways they do get oxygen is they take their water, and we'll talk about water in a second, but all their recycled water, they'll use a process called uh, electrosis? Ele electrolysis. Electrolysis. Yeah. Sorry. And what they do is they, they shoot electricity through the water, and what it does is it actually separates the water molecule from hydrogen and oxygen, and they take all the oxygen, since the astronauts are breathing pure oxygen in any way, and they pump that back into a tank so they can breathe it again, which is really kind of interesting. Yeah, you'll there will be a running theme in this in terms of recycling of the products yeah. uh, that the astronauts produce and just the environment produces in order to really make the 
most of what they have. I mean, the the whole endeavor is incredibly expensive in order to have built and maintained, and just to send one astronaut up there is expensive. So they need to make the most out of every bit of material that they have while they're up there. Mm-hmm. So they have they have these tanks. They have oxygen being produced through this kind of recyclable process, and then it is jettisoned throughout the entire space station through a a very elaborate fan system, Mm -hmm. which then has to push through a whole bunch of filters because if there are any sort of particles or microbes or anything like that, those need to get caught right away so that they don't end up getting into any of the electrical systems of the space station or anything like that. So the air really does get recycled through a whole bunch of waves. Mm -hmm. And something they had to consider uh, was also in the case of Docking, if something were to come in and dock, it has to be the same pressure as the space station. Um, there was the first real docking mission was the Russians and uh, the Americans, the Apollo Soyuz mission. It, they connected, but the thing they had to consider was that the Russians, since it was all during the Cold War when they were creating these things, they planned on having their pressurized system in their chamber just like Earth Mm -hmm. to where the Americans had pure oxygen and so it was a completely different pressurized system. So if they were to dock, like open the door to each other, all the Russians would die uh, because it would completely mess up with Mm -hmm. the pressurization. So they had to keep that in mind when making these, uh, like like when when docking and when adding stuff and bringing cargo to um, the actual space station. Yeah, you mentioned here... uh you have a note here that it, the bends, yeah. uh, very similar to the scuba diving experience that you can go through from going from an extreme depth of water going up, you actually have to take a, a methodical approach to going back to the surface because of that change in pressure. Yeah, what was really interesting is during that mission, so what they did was they created a middle capsule, and so they connected both of them oh. through a middle capsule, and the Americans went into the middle capsule and had to wait in this tiny little capsule for three hours before they got to go mm-hmm. and open the door and shake the Russians' hands. So <laughs> it was kind of a pretty big moment, though, because they were able to dock and then, like, connect to another person in space. That's that's the advantage of the modular format of the International Space Station, too, is that it's these pods that can kind of be... It's almost like a Lego set, Yeah, you can think about it. It's, it's individual components that have a whole lot going on inside of them, but you kind of just plug and play based off of the format that you exactly want. Yeah, they can, come out with, they can come out with new pods and then just yeah, pop them right on there. So we mentioned a little bit about docking, so we should we should talk about that. We don't have a space shuttle program anymore, and so mm. they still that that would have been the means of getting to and from the International Space Station, but we don't have it anymore, and so now we have to use alternative means. Uh, there are spacecraft that the Russians created, the the Soyuz spacecraft, and those are primarily what we use at this point in time for not only bringing the astronauts up there, but also the boatloads of material to and from the place. And in fact, there's always two of those spacecraft docked at the International Space Station in case there's an emergency and they need to get off. Two of them are always docked there so that the crew can get out of there. And they're really tiny, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're super, super cramped and small. Um, There was a... I, I read a quote from someone who said that uh, you know, it's cramped and you feel every bump on both exit and re-entry and that uh, on re-entry it was like being inside a barrel going over Niagara Falls that was lit on fire because of the heat from the re-entry and the bumpiness from, you know, coming back into our atmosphere. That's the sort of environment. And it's a six-hour trip, too. So it's not just like, oh, it'll be over 30 seconds. It'll be, it'll be okay. It's an, it's an endurance test, absolutely. God. 
That's that's intense. That's really intense. Yeah. God, and these things were made like in the '60s. Yeah. So it's and you know you know we're getting better and better about it. And, you know that was the advantage of having the the shuttle system from before, but now that we've kind of retired that system out, but now we have these new independent programs uh, like SpaceX and whatnot, uh, creating alternative spacecraft. And so, in the next few years, there's actually some pretty cool opportunities for some big changes in how. We interact with the the ISS, how we interact with a whole bunch of areas of space. Yeah. So uh, there's a there's there's we're I think we're cresting a hill here where things are gonna go pretty exciting. I sure hope so. Uh, so we talked about what makes it livable up on the space station. Yeah, we got power, we, we got, got air, yep. and we know how to get there now. Yeah. We can put people in these tiny little capsules. And, and yeah. We can send f- you know food and oxygen and everything like them. So what are they, what is it like? How do they live up there? Yeah, what's what's a normal day in the life of an astronaut? It's actually very busy. Yeah. Um, they they basically wake up, say hi to their fellow astronauts, whoever is up there uh, on the, the station with them. There's a, usually some sort of briefing, making sure everyone knows what it is that they're supposed to do. And then the entire morning is spent doing experiments. Whatever experiment they had been designated to work on, it's setting up, executing, and taking down that experiment until it's lunchtime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and obviously lunch, and everyone talks about astronaut food, uh, but uh, <laughs> you all the astronaut food is, just in case you didn't know, it's all super dehydrated, super dry, and there are things that they can rehydrate like oatmeal and certain things like that, mm-hmm. but then you have powdered eggs, basically, yeah. and those are like the worst things. I was watching this thing where the guy was like, yeah, so this is the eggs and sausage in here. Everybody likes eating the oatmeal and granola. Like, these are the last things that we still have in here. Yeah, I guess since we're on lunch, we should talk a little bit about the food and water. So, you know, in those spacecraft, the Soyuz spacecraft, they do send the food and, like, big packages of food and water alongside the oxygen tanks, and they're stored with, you know, on the the space station. And, yeah, it's these prepackaged food items that are... Not necessarily the most appetizing things in the world. Uh, and then on top of that, oftentimes they'll get a, a a large suite of vitamins and supplements that they have to take as well to make sure that they're maintaining a healthy, balanced diet because it can be hard to pull off with powdered food. There was, uh, I, I can't remember it, I didn't write it down, but there was an astronaut, I guess it was a Russian astronaut, who actually, I guess, heard about all these, like, oh, God, the terrible food up there, so he- he smuggled in a corned beef sandwich, and he brought it with him. But when he bit into it, since it was bread, crumbs basically right. blew up and went everywhere. Uh, and it was it, they had to vacuum it up real quick because they realized how big of a danger it was. Yeah, that's a big thing is that they have to immediately remove and dispose of any of the packaging that they bring mm-hmm. so that it doesn't float around. They have to choose items that are not particularly crummy like that so that it doesn't get all over the place. In fact, the commanders, whoever is the commander of the the mission at the time, had the ability to just kind of veto food items and say, nope, we're not eating that while I'm up there uh, <laughs> because it's either uh, it's too dangerous because crumbs are going to get everywhere or they just don't like the smell. It's a tight, small space and they have a microwave and... You know, you have that that coworker who cooks fish in the microwave at the office and it gets everywhere. <laughs> Imagine a tiny tin can that everyone is stuffed into and you've got some gross food that uh, is now permeating everywhere <laughs> in the place. Gary! Did you see what the microwave is, though? It's like a briefcase on a wall. Yeah, it's super yeah. cool. 
I, I a, a fun fact that I saw about food was that salt and pepper are in liquid form That's because you so can't deep. have the granules because again it's that idea of the crumbs it'll get everywhere and it'll get into the electronics mm. and that is extremely dangerous <laughs> and so they have to have liquid salt and liquid pepper. That's really neat. Um, yeah, and then at the end of the day they recap they they have their meetings if they need to and then they also have free time to talk to family and friends mm-hmm. uh, because now the astronauts do have internet and we'll talk a little bit about that later but. They, uh, they can actually um, talk to people down on Earth, which makes it a little easier for like a six-month stint, which generally yeah. is the time that you're up there. But it's, it's basically two large blocks of experimentation filled in with meetings, briefings, food occasionally, and then finally rec time. So it's, it's a busy time while they're up there. Uh, let's talk a little bit about water a little bit more because we talked about food mm-hmm. in terms of so we know what they eat, and it's not the, the greatest cuisine in the world, but they also need water while they're up there. And more importantly, they need water, yeah, for sure. Uh, there, there are different ways they can obviously get water. They have a limited amount of water on there, so they, they make sure they try to recycle as much as possible. Um, mm. Even, obviously, everyone knows, oh, do you drink your pee? Well, yeah, they do. They have their yeah. urine. They have a very complex system that filters all the bad stuff out of the urine, but they can get 85% of the water back from the urine, which is it blew my mind how much they can get back. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. So not only are they recycling water from urine, but they're also recycling it from our breath. Mm-hmm. So whenever we exhale, we exhale not only carbon dioxide, which they have a scrubbing system in place to actually filter that out and then recycle and grab the oxygen out of that, but it also grabs the the, the moisture that comes from our breath as well. And recycles that as best as it can as well to produce water, drinkable water for the, the astronauts. Mm-hmm. And with that being said, it also, if you are exercising, which is uh, something we'll also talk about, uh, you have to, or you sweat, mm-hmm. just as you do. And so it actually absorbs the sweat from the air and on your skin back into the water system. Yeah. So 94% of all the water on the ship is recycled. Which, That's incredible. Like, like, why can't we do that here? <laughs> I know. Well, small space. Yeah, but it, it, is, it is pretty incredible. So we're, we're talking about waste now because we've talked a little bit about recycling from urine and you mentioned sweat and cleanliness. And so that's another thing that the astronauts need to account for is they're eventually going to need to go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. So they had to figure out what the bathroom situation was going to be. And then on top of that, you said the typical stint is about six months. And so... They need to be clean. They need to have some sort of grooming system in place so that the astronauts aren't just up there having not cleaned themselves in, at all over a six-month period. Mm-hmm. And so there is a there is a bathroom system. It is uh, it's 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 vacuum based, and so they have to strap themselves into this this system every time that they need to use the bathroom. Essentially, so they, you have to strap yourself down to the seat and. A, a suction system will remove the waste from the toilet uh, and store it externally where it will then be jettisoned into the atmosphere to get burned up. Well, it actually, from what I, what I actually saw, uh, it is a suction system, but it sucks it into this little bag. And yeah. then you have to physically take the little bag of your poop <laughs> and store and it away into a box. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah. then they also have, obviously, you have to pee. And so yeah. they actually have this tube because they want to keep it separate because they do filter out the water from it. So it's this tube that's another suction system that mm-hmm. you just attach <laughs> like a vacuum hose yeah. and then turn it on and then go about your business. But then there's there's also just general grooming beyond needing to use the bathroom. They have to- uh, toothpaste, specialized toothpaste. Uh, one person 
I read a quote said they actually swallowed the toothpaste because you can't spit it out necessarily unless it's in a, into a very con- controlled bag situation. It makes sense. When I was a kid, like I would stay at my friend's house and and his dad would give me like a new toothbrush mm-hmm. and toothpaste and and he, I was like, well, where do I spit? And he goes, just swallow it. And I was like, okay, it's, yeah. I mean, if it's kids' <laughs> toothpaste, that stuff is specifically designed so it's not as dangerous. But maybe to, they use kids' toothpaste. They might actually. I didn't. I didn't see the details, but that would make sense. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. Uh, if they do anything like haircutting. They, they need to have a vacuum in place to catch all of the hair from the haircuts. Um, most of the soaps and shampoos that they use are no, like no rinse soap, no rinse shampoo. Um, and they actually have some special gels for shaving that holds and traps the, the hair from the, the stubble from the astronaut's face so that it doesn't go flying into some uh-huh. component nearby. But a lot of astronauts will oftentimes skip most of this stuff because it's just... It's very unsatisfying to use oftentimes, <laughs> and so... But they also say your sense of smell is different in space. Right. So it actually, you don't smell it as much. Right. So it's really not that. It's bad. not until you come down in that hot capsule and mm-hmm. land, and everyone gets a chance to smell oh. you. They're like, oh, you have been up there for six months. <laughs> but it's also such a clean space, too, that you're not getting as dirty. Right. Uh, really, the, the only sort of exertion that you're, you're doing is that exercise, if you mm-hmm. ever end up doing some sort of exercise. So the last necessity someone needs, we have air for them, we have water for them that's sheltered and safe because of the power system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have they have food. So what's the, the last necessary component? Well, you need sleep. That's Eventually. something that's important. Yeah. Uh, and, and you can basically fall asleep anywhere, but they have these like little closets with the sleeping bag is on the wall because once you close the door, you could be sleeping. It doesn't really matter. You're not really up against anything. I saw one astronaut, he like props his foot up against like the door. So mm-hmm. it feels like he's pushing up against something to, like to yeah, simulate to gravity. You, give you the sensation of laying down yeah. in a bed. But ultimately, you're just basically just strapping yourself in somewhere so you're not as cold. Yeah. <laughs> you just falling asleep. It's these sort of vertical sleeping bag systems. And you can close the door if you want privacy, but it really is like sleeping in a closet. Mm-hmm. And, but That's also where they have their, like, laptops Mm -hmm. and where they can talk to their families if they want a little privacy. Right. I saw an interesting note here that they actually need typically less sleep on the International Space Station than they do here. Because they're in microgravity, their bodies are not as exhausted from having to fight off gravity constantly. And so they actually can sleep on, like, an hour or two less than what we usually need down here, Hmm. which is kind of cool. So... Even more time to do their experiments. Well, since they are in microgravity, I think we should talk a little bit about some dangers that could happen. Yeah. Uh, and uh, physical health is definitely one of those things that you should take into consideration, which they didn't really when they first started sending people up there because they they didn't even think about it. And they came down and people could barely walk. Like, they couldn't walk. They had to be helped out of the capsules. It's so the, the price of doing science like that is they, they were trying to understand what space life was like. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's so, a learning process. <laughs> it's one of the reasons why they keep exercising. Right. Um, because if you don't exercise, your your muscles and your bones can deteriorate. Uh, and that's everything, including like just just normal muscles, arms and leg muscles, but your heart's a muscle. And that can actually start killing itself mm. um and 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 surprisingly your bones as well your bones basically get exercised by gravity i mean your bones just hanging off of your body 
get like get some sort of exercise and it keeps it moving and keeps it going and without that it can deteriorate yeah that microgravity basically muscle mass goes away calcium is depleted from your bones and so you get just loss of bone mass uh, or bone density loss of muscle mass and so they have to use these exercise systems where they have like a it's essentially a stationary bike and a treadmill and things like that that again like the toilet, they have to strap themselves down to it if they want to use it effectively. So it is a, a treadmill or a bike, but they are strapped down to it so that they can actually use it and they don't just float away while they're trying to run. The treadmill I saw was actually on the wall. Yeah. You, if you go in one way, you're like, oh, the treadmill's on the wall. Mm-hmm. It's very fun. And then they also have a, a sort of resistive device. It's called the Advanced Resistive Exercise Device, the ARID. And it basically uses vacuums to replicate various weightlifting scenarios so that they can do deadlifts and squats and things like that using that this neat. system. Yeah, so that was that was pretty cool. So they have ways now, now that they have a better understanding of how to fight against the fatigue on the body or the, the degradation of the body over extensive periods of time in space. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but there are, I mean, things that could happen during that, like uh, you're, you could grow taller because it's a spine elongation, uh, you get sick because motion sickness is a thing, even just watching these guys give a tour of mm. the space station like I was getting dizzy yeah um, space sickness is a thing uh-huh. it's, it's pretty fun they uh, have they have barf bags on the space station <laughs> for when you start when you get up there and you're like whoa you gotta get your sea legs you gotta get your space legs yeah. otherwise you're gonna start throwing up <laughs> also if you ever look at them like it also looks like they're always like super stressed but it's really just all the the fluids in their body and their face are just like weightless so Mm -hmm. they have nothing pulling it down which is it always looks like they're about to pop yeah all the 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 fluids of the body kind of they they move up towards the the head and they move up and up and so it causes all this pressure in in the face that can not only look like swollen red cheeks and everything like that but it also can cause some discomfort Mm -hmm. for them as well in terms of Pressure on the eyes causing the there there were reports of this seeing streaks and flashes at first and they weren't really sure why and they're still not entirely sure why but the running theory is that it's this pressure in the head and in the eyes that is causing these weird flashes that they're seeing while they're up there and I wonder if that has to do with uh, they were saying pressure of the brain also being floating around in there can push on the eyeballs and actually change people's vision because it's there's pressure on the eyes. And I wonder if that has to affect that as oh, well. Oh, totally. I'm sure. So that's that's the body. They, they can exercise it to, to keep it from falling apart. They have means, and people eventually just kind of have to get used to the feeling of being in space. We can feed them, we can house them, we can give them air and shelter and everything like that. We can make sure their bodies are strong. The body can be strong, the body can be safe, but there is the other aspect of the human element up there that needs protection and maintenance as well, the mind. Mm-hmm. There's, there is absolutely the need for an emphasis on psychological health for the, the astronauts because they're up there for these months and months and months away from friends, away from family, in a very alien environment, and so... There are the stresses involved with that, and so a, a number of measures have been put into place to make sure that they they have healthy healthy brains, healthy 
uh, personalities and healthy mentalities. Mm -hmm. So one of the things is they do get the news from the day before sent up to them every day. So they can keep up with current politics. They can't do anything about it, unfortunately, maybe tweet about it, but they can't they can't actually do anything about it. Uh, They like we mentioned before, they do have Internet that started in. 2010. Yeah, and it was terrible. It was very, very <laughs> slow. From what I understand, it's still kind of spotty, but it's because you're in space. Yeah, like, exactly. Understandable. Right. But they still can Skype. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can still send emails. You can still have video conferences with your family, which is a big peace of mind. Now, that's not something they would be able to do if they were going to Mars. Right. Because we're in Earth's orbit, we can do that. Um, with all the satellites around Earth, it makes it a lot easier, unless somebody comes out with something brand new. I assume uh, Elon Musk is working on that as uh, we speak. Sure hope so. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're right. There's this ability to communicate with Earth, and it's a big part of the, the end-of-the-day exercises that they have or their rec time so that they can they can talk with friends, they can talk with family. And another person that they can talk to that is provided for them is a counselor. They're, they are provided access to a mental health advocate so that should they start to feel the stresses of being in space or being in an alien environment, they have a professional in place that they can they can conference with and report in every once in a while to, to make sure that everyone up there is, is feeling A-OK. Because mm-hmm. there's lots of different things that can go... I mean, like, first of all, there's a lot of different things that can go wrong, but, like, you're in a very tiny, cramped quarters. Like, it can prey on the mind a little bit. I was just watching it and I was like, I don't think I could do that. Yeah, it it's it would be exhausting, a mentally taxing and physically taxing experience. Um, they, they too take solace in the fact that they're up there for a greater purpose, this idea of it's an international science community. And so international divides kind of melt away while they're up there. It is, they're up there, they know for a purpose. And so they, they take some solidarity in that and that does help kind of boost morale and create a, a sense of community with the astronauts while they're up there. But you're right, it is it can be taxing. Yeah. <laughs> and anything could go wrong at any moment in time. And it is literally a life or death situation. Mm-hmm. You're in a giant machine that is keeping you alive. Yeah. Oh, the other fun fact about that was they couldn't they they're not allowed to actually send dot doc files, like Word files, because there was a there was a thing with Microsoft and mm-hmm. it was really easy to hack into dot doc files and get into your system. So oh, they're not allowed to send any sort of Word files at all. So for security purposes, they can't use Microsoft Office while they're up there, or at least not send dot doc. Files. Yeah, gotcha. exactly. Interesting. So like we mentioned, it can go south at any point in time. There are all the systems in place to keep them fed, to give them oxygen, to provide them with a shelter, but that shelter is incredibly fragile. I mean, it is it is a metal enclosure floating in space, and so... Not just floating in space, traveling Moving at, very quickly in like space, Like high speeds yes. through space. Uh, and so any bit of space debris or space junk that comes in contact with the ISS while it's orbiting Earth can be... In- just hugely dangerous to the to the entire structure. Mm-hmm. NASA actually does a good job at directing them around larger objects because they know where a lot of the objects are that are up there, the big space junks or mm-hmm. satellites or something like that. So they do a good job at actually directing it around those things. But there are smaller things that they can't detect. Right. Um, for example, like if something, to give you an idea, if, if a, a tiny little grain of sand were to 
run into the space station, it could pierce a hole through it traveling at that speed. So mm-hmm. they have to watch out for everything. Actually, I think we have a picture of uh, a tiny fleck of paint, um, yeah, I guess, from one of the old uh, satellites or something, tra- uh, like hits the shuttle orbiter windscreen and there's this like massive hole from where it hits it because it just it just comes and it's a tiny little fleck of paint that can create that much damage going at that speed yeah and that's a a big reason like not only are they maintaining the systems inside but occasionally they have to go outside to remove debris to repair any kind of breaches that might exist out there and so there are these long spacewalks that they have to do from time to time to maintain the external integrity of the ISS along with the internal systems. Mm -hmm. I did read that the way they do it is actually, instead of having like a solid piece of like aluminum, which you would think, okay, that that would block anything or something, having two separated panels Mm -hmm. actually, if something hit it, it would spread and actually not damage the inside panel. So what they did was they actually have two panels and on the inner panel, they wrap it in Kevlar. And so you have this outer panel on your hull, mm-hmm. and then you have this inner panel on your hull, and so you're double protected from them. And that's from the little bits and pieces, because I'm sure it happens sure. fairly and often. Not o- and on top of that, they've there is the spacewalks that they have to do, but then there are increasing advances in robotics that are allowing them to use robot systems to repair the external parts of the ship, because it is so dangerous to be outside in the vacuum of space that... We would rather have a robot out there trying to fix it than risk any of your crew because every crew member counts at that point in time. Yeah. Uh, the other thing you have to worry about is a little radiation. Now, we're in, uh, if you're on the space station, you're in low Earth's orbit, uh, but you still have to worry about radiation getting in there. It's one of the mm-hmm. reasons why they don't recommend having sex in space and getting pregnant. Because if you get pregnant, anything can happen to that fetus. Now, if you're, I think they said if you're halfway to the moon, then you have a problem because you're not protected by anything from Earth. And so any radiation getting into like anywhere is going to affect you, um, which I thought was interesting. So the proximity near Earth at right right now is at least somewhat a protective blanket that they're they're, they're, they're getting. And that's going out to the absolute vacuum of space. Yeah. And if we head to Mars, that's something that they really have to consider is the radiation. Yeah. What are people going to be like when they get there and then the long term effects of that radiation exposure over time like that? Yeah. Because anytime we've gone to the moon, it's like, okay, here we are. And then we're getting out of here. We're not like sleeping. We're not staying the night at the moon. So, yeah, the ISS is this this place where scientists from around the world get together. They do they do science in the, in the name of greater good, but they are in a constant sense of maybe alert or maintenance in terms of making sure that every system is in place, all of the filtration systems are working, that they have the necessary supplies. They're always talking with, with ground control. I mean, they are... Every part of their day is planned out months ahead of time. It is there. It's not as if they just go up there and go. What what sort of experiment do I want to do today? Let's see what this slinky does. Like they 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 have a mission to do while they're up there, but at any point in time something could go wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like Captain is dead. At any point in time something could go wrong. But everybody has their job to do, and exactly. you have to make your plan because you're always thinking two steps ahead with your alerts, and you're trying to figure out well what's coming up. Um, the last thing I really wanted to touch on, just sure. a real quick yeah. bullet point, is I've always wondered, and I definitely looked it up because I was curious, mm-hmm. what would happen if your body was to ex- it was exposed to the vacuum of space? Mm-hmm. And this is if you're just your body. So if you're floating out there, just your clothes, 
Nice. You, you get sucked get, out of the airlock. Airlock out of the ISS. You're now in, you're in, in the space. atmosphere. What happens? So the first thing that would happen is since you're in a vacuum, all the air would be sucked out of your body. No matter if you close your mouth or anything like that, it's coming out. There's no right. way you can hold it in. And that's including anywhere in your intestines. So if you didn't go to the bathroom before you decide to get sucked out, everything's just How coming out. <laughs> 15 to, 10 to 15 seconds after that. You, you would start to black out because that's how long it takes for blood to from your lungs to reach to your brain. So it's no longer getting oxygen, and so your brain starts to shut down. Exactly. So your brain uh, shuts down and you black out. Then your blood vessels uh, on the surface of your body would start to break, uh, especially your eyes, <laughs> due to the, uh, the lack of pressure. So everything would just start popping. Mm. But this is all on just the surface level, since you don't have any exposed like fluids because mm-hmm. your entire like mouth and your all your trachea and your intestines are closed off so you're 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 your own capsule basically sure. uh, and so then any fluids that are exposed like your spit or if there is any fluids in your eyes or something those would actually start to boil because the pressure is so low and and boiling temperature is based on the pressure of outside you would actually start to boil uh, and it's really interesting. I hadn't I hadn't thought about that before. They, well, they know that because they actually had they were testing stuff like a spacesuit in this vacuum, mm-hmm. and it was a complete vacuum that they made into a room. And this guy was in there, and there was a hole in his suit, and he blacked out. They shut it down. Right. But he was like, the last thing I remember was my tongue. The spit on my tongue was starting to boil. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, oh my god, that's terrifying. Uh, if you had any exposed skin, if you decided to go out there naked. You would get a sunburn, a really, really, really bad, bad sunburn. Bad yeah, sunburn. <laughs> that's what would happen to you if you were floating through space. And most likely, if you got sucked out of an airlock, you would just completely, continuously go until you hit something. Yeah. So your best bet is to stay inside mm-hmm. and try and fight off all the aliens that are trying to take over your ship. Exactly. Like they might be, and the captain is dead. Hopefully, and your hologram and your ship computer can help you out, and you can get your jump core back online, exactly. and then you get out of there. Get the heck out of there. <laughs> Do you have anything else? This is, no, I ha- I don't. This has been really fun. I haven't, you know, I've always known about the ISS, but I haven't really thought about all the components that are required, like how much they had to think about and how many backup plans on backup plans on backup plans for everything that we take for granted. Like you're sitting in a house and you're alive because the house has been built to keep you alive sort of situation. But it's we take for granted all of these resources that You can are, step out of the house and I can be leave whatever I want. I'll get a sunburn, sure, but <laughs> I can handle that. It's 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 pretty fascinating to think about every little piece that can go wrong and what then they would need to do in a scramble sort of situation. Mm-hmm. Which which relates definitely back to the captain is dead because what you're doing is trying to survive and you're trying to plan out systems and you're trying to work as a team, Mm -hmm. much like the countries in the International Space Station. And you're trying to just get get the heck out of Dodge. Uh, So it's a lot of fun. I hope you learned a little bit. Um, if you don't have anything else. No, that's all I got. Well, thank every, thank you, everybody, for listening to Beyond the Board. Uh, if you have any questions or comments or if you wanted to share a little story. Are um, you an astronaut? Are you, you an astronaut? In. That would be great. Oh, man. <laughs> I would love that. Go ahead and send your questions or comments to uh, beyondtheboardpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find out what we're doing on uh, Twitter or Instagram if you follow us at goingbtb. That's btb for blood that boils blood if that you go boils. outside. Cut yourself, your blood's gonna boil. Uh, so don't go out in space in that terrible, terrifying mm. vacuum of space. You can also follow us, uh, or you can also subscribe to the podcast. That would be great. 
then you'd get a new episode of your favorite board games and our favorite board games every uh, Sunday night. Why don't you write us a review, too? That'd be that'd be We'd appreciate that. Yeah, give us a review. Let and us if, know what you think. Yeah, let us know what you think. Even if it's a couple words or like, this podcast was great, or this podcast was okay, or... I'll take you, it. I'll take <laughs> I, anything. I'll take anything, yeah. Uh, yeah, go ahead, and, uh, go ahead and send us a review. And don't forget that The Captain is Dead is coming out sometime in April through AEG, so definitely pick up a copy and you can try it out. Uh, just know that you don't have to kill one of your friends to be the captain to play. They're already dead, so you're good to go. <laughs>